Church family, it's great to see all of you here once again. Uh, this is uh, such a, a great privilege for me. I was just uh, walking down the hallway earlier tonight thinking about how, how great an honor it is to be able to come in here and to share God's word with you all, uh, to take part in the ministry of the gospel here at this church. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. Uh, as most of you know, we're continuing our book, or our study, excuse me, verse by verse, through the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. So we're starting to wind down the book of Joshua here, that um, we're in kind of the, the closing stages of the book. And uh, so tonight, by way of introduction, I'm going to read a brief piece of poetry that I think many of you will recognize. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone, and I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind. I've opened up the doors. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down, and I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? I love rock music. It's uh, proof of the old adage that uh, even twice a day a broken clock is still wrong. Um, and so uh, there is some truth to these words here from the Beatles. I think that many people, especially earlier on in life, do really live as though they are fully self-sufficient. As we grow, as we mature, as we go through life, I think uh, we come to realize that that's not nearly as much the case as we would like to think. Uh, that we do not live in isolation from other people, um, that life apart from the help of others is not nearly as easy as it might appear at first. And uh, that's a lot of what we're going to see in Joshua here tonight. Um, so our focus point this evening is that unity in obedience and in worship are crucial to the life God desires for us. Um, I would even kind of extend that to say that a relationship with God necessitates a relationship with his church, with fellow saints, with the body of Christ here on the earth. And so as we uh, get into this chapter of Joshua tonight, uh, we're going to see the people of Israel face some of these same issues, um, that all of us from time to time need someone to step into our lives to kind of give us a good smack and say, okay, like, what are you doing here? Knock it off back to where you're supposed to be. And uh, so in our passage tonight, there's a couple of the tribes of Israel that have a similar experience to this. Um, there's some questions about what they're doing, what their motivation is for their actions, and whether it's actually honoring to God. And when this happens, the other tribes are quick to step in to the center of the issue, to get right to the point, and to call out the questions they have to try to bring these people back into right relationship with God over what they perceived to be doing. Uh, we'll see a little bit about uh, some conflict resolution in here and just the importance of unity in worship and in obedience to the Lord. Uh, so a little background before we get into this. So again, the end ending stages of the book of Joshua, we've seen God fulfill his promises 
to the nation of Israel that he had made so long before, that generation after generation after generation has been waiting for this experience that God had promised to them, to bring them into the land he was going to give them, to give them a home, a place where they could settle and be successful and blessed. So we've seen God do this. We've seen the nation of Israel under their new leader, Joshua, conquer the promised land, take control of its key strategic cities and much of the land. And we've seen them have great victories, uh, that God gave them victory after victory after victory in battle, proving that it was his faithfulness that had brought them here and his faithfulness that would continue to carry them through the work that he had given them. Uh, So the past couple chapters, we saw the people of Israel gather together to divide up the land, to decide which tribes, which people groups, which family groups of the nation of Israel would get which parts of the land to live in. Uh, We saw them set up the cities of refuge um, as part of their justice system, and we saw God's faithfulness in spreading the Levites all around the countryside to be able to minister to the rest of the people, to remind them of who God is, of what God was doing for them, and to call them to obedience and to faithfulness to his word. And so we'll be picking up tonight in Joshua chapter 22 in verse 1. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. So as they're dividing up the geography, the land of Israel, Um, The the nation was allotting these different portions to the different tribes. Uh, We're reminded here that three tribes, the tribe of Reuben, of Gad, and then part of the tribe of Manasseh, had all requested that they receive an inheritance separate from the original boundaries of the promised land. Uh, That as they were going up to the promised land, traveling through this area just across the Jordan River, that uh, they were attacked by these hostile kings and their armies, that God gave them victory over the people who dwelled there. And then once that happened, that these three tribes saw this land opposite the Jordan and realized, hey, this would be an all right place. This is a good place to graze our livestock. This is somewhere where we feel like we could settle down and be successful. Can we just have our land right here instead of coming over the Jordan River into Canaan? That they had gone to Moses and requested that God give them this particular piece of land instead of a portion of it across the river later on. And so in answer to that, Moses 
tells them that this is okay, that they're allowed to do this. They can set up their permanent dwelling here on the far side of the Jordan River from the rest of the nation. But he says that before they do that, they have to go into Canaan, cross the Jordan, and participate in the conquest of the land that God was promising to their brothers in the other tribes. And so they agree to these terms. They go into the land with the rest of the tribes of Israel. And then they spend around seven years going about the rest of this conquest, conquering the remainder of the land for the other tribes to come. And so after they've completed this task now, they come to Joshua. And they're ready to go back to their new home, the home that they had seen years before, that they had desired years before. So Joshua uh, commissions them before they go back. Uh, He really kind of congratulates them, thanks them for their hard work. Uh, It says in verse 2 that they have obeyed my voice, Joshua's voice, and all that I have commanded you. Verse 3, you have not forsaken your brothers these many days, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. Uh, So he's commending them for their faithfulness, for the hard work that they did in this conquest. And before they go back, he warns them, he reminds them of the need to follow after God. In verse 5, he tells them, Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 6 says, so Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Really, these verses here, it's kind of a brief summary of everything that God was telling the people of Israel in the Old Testament law, in the books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, uh, that he's reminding them that they have to be careful to follow after God, to observe his laws and his commandments. Now, this would be a constant temptation for the people of Israel as they dwelt in the land of Canaan, and even more so for these tribes that would be separated on the other side of the river. Uh, That the tribes of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh would be dwelling with the Jordan River as kind of a natural barrier between them and their fellow Israelites. That it would be that much harder for them to take part in the worship and sacrifices at the tabernacle and later at the temple. That they would be that much closer to their enemies and also to the people who were participating in pagan worship of false gods, that they would be dwelling that much closer to them. And so they had to be that much more careful to observe the commands of God. And I love the wording here in verse 5. It says, To love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. And so we see in these commands, kind of an all-encompassing lifestyle of focus on the Lord, that they were to love God, that they were to walk, they were to live their lives in a way that glorified God, that honored God, that everything they did was to be centered around their God. They were to walk in obedience to him, that they had seen specific commands and regulations God had given them, and they were to obey those and to stay close to God through all of that. And I think that's such an important part of this. Um, and that they're reminded there in verse 5 to cling to 
God and to serve him. Uh, that's such a great picture there of clinging to God, of holding fast to God. Um, I just think a, a visual of, you know, something like a small child. Um, some of you may see me on Sunday morning walking around here. My younger daughter is not as outgoing as the older one. And so a lot of the time she gets out of, you know, nursery and um, makes her way to me or mom brings me to her. So I'm walking around holding her and, you know, she's cute. Everybody wants to say hi. And so they come up and they, and they talk to her. If it's somebody she doesn't know, she clings to me. She holds fast to me that she is comforted, that she is safe, that she knows things are going to be okay if mom or dad is right there, that she is not letting go no matter what, that she knows that this is where she needs to be, that that is where she's going to be safe. That's the same way that we should see our Lord, that we need to run to him like a little child, to know that he is our safety net, that he is the one we want to be with, that we want to abide in and with him, that when the storms of life come, that when something we're unsure of happens, that we should hold all the more tightly to our God and know that he will be with us and that he will carry us through whatever may come. Continues on with some of the specifics of setting out um, for their land there. In verse 7, it says, Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents, which much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land of which they had possessed themselves, by command of the Lord through Moses." So in these verses, we're seeing just kind of a reiteration of God's faithfulness. Uh, that These tribes are sent back to the homes that they had requested um, across the river from the rest of the people of Israel. That explains a little bit more about that. And then in verse 8, Joshua blesses them and he says, Go back to your tents with much wealth, with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. And so we're reminded here that as the people of Israel had conquered the land of Canaan, that God had blessed them extremely materially. Um, that God was meeting for their needs above and beyond. That as they conquered all these different cities, these nations, these kingdoms, that they were to take their wealth, their livestock. Uh, that God was enriching his people as they were conquering the land. That God was giving them not just a place to live, but he was giving them everything they needed to dwell here, to be successful, and to be blessed. But with that, there's also a certain level of risk uh, that we see throughout Scripture that when people become comfortable, when they become wealthy, 
when things are going well, that it's easy for them to forget that it was God who brought them there. And that's so much of the message of Deuteronomy, which we read a few months back, um, that God wanted his people to remember who he was and what he had done for them when they came to the promised land, when they were content, when they were happy, when they were full, when they had all that they needed. It would be easy for them to forget that it was God who brought them there and to think in their own pride that they were the ones who deserved the credit for their own success. And so we have to remember that God is the one who brings success. That any blessing we have, that all that we possess is from the hand of God and that we should be drawn closer to him in times of blessing and success rather than turning away from him in pride, thinking that we have gotten ourselves where we are on our own without the help of our Lord. Verse 10 says, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. And so this is where things kind of fall apart. So these three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, travel back towards their land, their inheritance they'd been given across the Jordan River. And when they get to the river, it says that they build a large altar there next to the river. They build a huge altar. Um, This is an issue because God had given very specific instructions to the people of Israel of how they were supposed to worship him, that they were not to worship God in any way that pleased them, that they were not able to choose how they went about worshiping God. They were to follow very specific instructions on how to worship God because God is absolutely holy and God desires to be worshipped in a manner that recognizes that. And part of those commands were that they were not to build their own altars. They were not to make sacrifices to God anywhere they pleased. That they had to go to the tabernacle and later to the temple to make their sacrifices. Uh, That they weren't to just be erecting monuments anywhere they wanted. That they were to obey God and have their worship all centralized in one location at the tabernacle. And so they build this large altar here, and it says in verse 11, when the people of Israel, the other tribes, heard of it, they said, behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan. Skip down to verse 12. When they heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. And so the nation of Israel, the rest of the tribes, saw what was going on here. They heard of this, and they took it very, very seriously. That to them, what they had heard here 
was basically that these three tribes were departing from the true worship of God. That they were committing apostasy and walking away from the Lord, either worshiping him in not the way that he desired to be worshipped, or they were erecting this altar, they assumed, to pagan gods, that they were already taking on the false worship practices of their neighbors, of the nations around them. And so this was a serious deal. And so the rest of the nation of Israel came together to go find out what was going on, and they were prepared to wage war against their fellow brothers because of this supposed act of idolatry that was going on here. And this, uh, these actions we actually see in Deuteronomy 13, uh, verse 12. In Deuteronomy 13, starting in 12, God tells the people of Israel, if you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction." all who are in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its spoil into the midst of the open square and burn the city and all its spoil with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. And so the rest of the nation, the other tribes, are taking this very seriously. They're remembering the command God had given that if one group of them, one city, should turn away from God, that they were to go out and they were to treat them as they did the Canaanites when they conquered the land the first time, that they were to blot them out, to wipe out these people, that the nation of Israel was to be a pure and holy nation set apart for God, for his glory and for his worship. And so people straying from his commands in this area was a threat to that end goal to the glory of God. So they were taking this very, very seriously. So they journey to Shiloh to gather the rest of the nation together to prepare to make war if need be as they investigate what's going on. Joshua twenty-two thirteen. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us 
Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Akan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? And wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel. And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. So the remaining nine tribes gather together. They prepare to make war against what they perceive to be a threat to the right worship of God in their midst. And they send out a delegation. This says in verse 13. Um, they send Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And so they send these men out to find out what's going on. They go in to these three tribes, and they ask them why they have done this. Verse 16, they say, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel and turning away from following the Lord? That uh, They're questioning them. Why have you done this? Why have you abandoned God and his proper worship and built this altar? Why have you done this thing? And the answer uh, we'll, we'll get to the answer in a moment, excuse me, but um, they're really explaining the seriousness of this. They want to make sure that these tribes understand what they may have gotten themselves into, um, that they're following this command to seek and to understand what's going on, to not jump rashly to conclusions, but also they are prepared to take serious action against this, if it is an act of sin. And so they refer to a couple different events that have happened here. In verse 17, they say, Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord? And so we see the leader of this delegation is Phineas. Uh, this guy we see pop up a few different times within Scripture. The first and possibly one of the most notable is in the book of Numbers. And uh, we see Phineas be the first one to oppose the nation of Israel as they're committing idolatry and adultery with women from the kingdom of Midian. Um, that back in the book of Numbers, we see the Midianites send these people in to try to corrupt the nation of Israel, to lead them into false worship and to commit adultery with their people. And so in the middle of this horrible act of sin against God going on, and Phineas is the first one to step out to take action against what is happening here. And so he remembers quite graphically what had happened. And we see because of the sin that happened at Peor in this situation that God struck the people of Israel with a plague. I believe it was 24,000 died in judgment for this act of sin. So he's reminding the people of what happened here, that sin leads nowhere good, that there are strong consequences for that. In verse 20, he refers back to an event earlier in the book of Joshua. Did not a Khan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? And wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel? And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. And so if we remember earlier in the book of Joshua, we see the people conquer Jericho, that God gives that into their hand. Their very next 
battle is against the city of Ai, except this one man, Akan, had secretly taken some of the things that he was not supposed to take and hidden them for himself when they conquered Jericho. And in judgment for that, God gave the people of Ai victory over Israel, uh, that they were able to defeat the army of Israel, that Israelite soldiers died because of this man's sin, of his not following God's commands. And so the point that Phineas is trying to get across in this is that the sin of these tribes would have an effect on the rest of the nation, that God judged the people of Israel when one of them or a group of them sinned. Oftentimes, all of them had to suffer for that. And so they're taking this sin very, very seriously. And it's important for us to understand that same principle, that your sin affects other people. That the sin of other people affects you. That sin does not happen in a vacuum, in isolation from those around us. That in some way or shape or form, our sin will have a negative impact on the people around us. And that's why it's so important that we collectively, as a group, as the body of Christ, take sin so seriously. And I think the people of Israel put a great example here for that and taking their sin, this sin seriously, that they were ready to wage war against their brothers if this was an act of sin. They go in to find out what's going on, but they also offer legitimate alternatives to these three tribes. In verse 19, this group urges the three tribes. They say, but now if the land of your possession is unclean, Pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. That these men, this delegation goes in to find out what is going on. They're prepared to make war if need be, but they're urging these men, these tribes, to repent, to turn back to God and to come, even if they need to, back over the Jordan River, back into the land of Canaan. They even offer to give them a land to dwell in, to give them a portion of their inheritance that they're willing to sacrifice of their own wealth, their own land, their own goods, in order to help these other people avoid walking into sin, avoid walking away from God. And so the nation of Israel comes into the situation ready to fight if they need to, but really desiring to see unity and obedience amongst the nation. And they're willing to make sacrifices, to give of what they have in order to help that happen. Uh, that if this tribe cannot walk in faithfulness to God on the far side of the river, then come back onto our side, and we'll give you some of our land. We'll give you some of our cities. We'll give you some of our wealth and our goods. Just don't walk away from our God. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That when we see a fellow brother or sister, we see those who are trying to walk side by side with the Lord along with us. When we see them struggling, when we see them veering from the path of righteousness, when we see them being drawn into temptation, drawn away from God, that we need to step into that situation, that we need to help them see the folly of their choices, that we want to love them, and we want to remind them of the God that we serve. I love the wording here in Galatians. It says that you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And that means when we see someone in that situation, we're not looking for them to experience their own downfall. We're not waiting for them to fall by their own choices. We're not desiring them to fail. That we want to see them restored. We want to see them repent and turn back to God and to the path that he has placed us on. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we are truly a church family that God has called us into fellowship with him and into fellowship with the saints within the church. And that collectively as the church, we are set apart as that chosen race, that royal priesthood, that nation for God's own possession. And so when one of us sins, when one of us strays from God's commands, from God's ways, that that hurts all of us, that that impacts our ability to glorify God and to live collectively to what he has called us to do. And so it's so important that we take sin seriously and seek to help others avoid that. I think about just uh, the, the different things we see um, in society that have a similar effect. I know um, families are so interconnected and uh, I, I see sometimes in, in my work with young people we see difficult situations they have at home that there's something going on with a brother with a sister with an aunt with a parent um, it could be struggles with work that could be drug problems alcohol problems something like that and I see how often these young people struggle to get through the tasks of day-to-day -day life to live a full life because of what is happening around them, because of what's going on within their family, that it just makes it that much more difficult for them to experience really a good life, for things to go the way we expect them to go at home, at work, at school. And in much the same way, what happens to one member of the church body has an impact to those around that person, whether or not we realize it. So we need to take our sin seriously. We need to take our own sin seriously, and we need to be willing to step out sacrificially to help those who are struggling, to seek their restoration, 
and to help them come to repentance and to walking in obedience with the Lord. Back to Joshua, chapter 22, verse 21. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said an answer to the heads of the families of Israel. The mighty one, God the Lord. The mighty one, God the Lord. He knows and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. So we see in these verses the response of these three tribes that are traveling to cross the Jordan to dwell in the land they had requested were there. Um, That the question is presented, why are you doing this? What are you doing here? Don't you know that if you stray from God that it will mean destruction and suffering for all of us? And so they respond that God knows. The mighty one God, the Lord, he knows and let Israel itself know. But they're saying that this was not an act of rebellion. Um, They even call down judgment upon themselves if it was. Um, This altar was not built to worship false gods. It was not built to offer sacrifices to our God, but in the wrong place. They're saying that we built this altar out of remembrance. That they built this altar as a testimony to their children, and to the children of the other tribes across the river. That they're explaining that in time to come, they want people to know. They want their children to know. They want the children of the other tribes to know that they are part of Israel. That they're saying they want this altar to stand as a replica of the altar of the Lord at the tabernacle, to be a reminder to future generations, that even though they were separated by the river, that they were still part of that special people, part of the nation of Israel, and they still worshipped the same God the way he had commanded them. And so they tell them they're afraid that in the future that their children and the children of the other tribes would oppose each other 
that they would see that natural boundary and say that you're not part of our people. They would be cut off from the land of Israel. And was this a good idea? Maybe. It's hard to say. Uh, that God had commanded them specifically how to worship him, and they realized that they were not to use this altar specifically for worship. Uh, but we also see the people of Israel fall into problems, fall into idolatry, fall into issues with how they worship God later on. And so this had the potential to be an issue for them if they were not careful to walk in obedience with the Lord. And uh, I think reminders are very important uh, that we see throughout these last few books we've read, the importance of reminding ourselves of who God is, of remembering what God has done for us and seeking him in all things. But more important than reminding ourselves is obeying God. And we learn in 1 Chronicles 5.25, speaking of these tribes living on the far side of the Jordan River, Generations down the road, it says that they broke faith with the God of their fathers and whored after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. And so as a consequence of that, God sent the nation of Assyria and these tribes were among some of the first to be conquered and carried off into exile because of their idolatry and their disobedience to God. And so we see these three tribes, at this point in time, desiring to obey God, to see their children obey God. But they also were living in kind of a vulnerable situation, that they were separated by natural barriers from the tabernacle, from the worship of God and the sacrifices that they were to make to him. And they were separated from the rest of their people. And because of that, they had to take extra care to make sure that they were not corrupted by the nations around them. That being separated from fellowship and from worship and from fellow believers is a vulnerable place to be. And there are times where God places people in that position. And there are times when people choose to be in that position on their own. And either way, special care must be taken to avoid being drawn into temptation and to be drawn away from God. And that's why it's so important for us today to be living in close fellowship with one another, that God built the church to carry out the mission of the gospel as a group, that no one of us stands alone, that we are to minister to one another and with one another, sharing the hope and power of the gospel, and helping each other to continue to walk in obedience to our God. Verse 30, when Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Verse 32. 
Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the chiefs returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel, and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness. For, they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. And so really, these people were seeking to remember what God had done for them. To remember that they were part of this people group. And to remember that they needed to be seeking the Lord in unity with the nation of Israel. That they were still part of that. And because of that, they still had that unique relationship with God that had to be fostered and grown. And again, our focus point this evening is that unity and obedience and worship are crucial to the life God desires for us. That much like the nation of Israel, we have been called to walk in obedience to God in a hostile environment. That there are those around us who would oppose our faith, who would draw us to worship the various idols of our society. And that we have to be working together to seek the Lord, to avoid sin, and to see him glorified. Our New Testament connection here is Hebrews 3, 12, and 13, which says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's so much of what our job is here as the church. That we are to take care, that we are to watch over ourselves and our own hearts. That we're to encourage those around us to spur one another on to good deeds. And to watch out for that unbelief that draws us away from God that we are to seek God together as we go through life, as we share the hope and power of the gospel with this world. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, God. I thank you once again for this time we have to be here. I thank you for the message and power of the gospel, Lord, uh, that you sent your son to die in our place, to bring us back to you. I pray that you would help us to remember every day the price that we were bought with, Lord, and the consequences of straying from you. I pray that you would help us to be drawing closer to you and drawing closer to one another, that you would fill our hearts with your joy, Lord, um, and that we would be seeking you as a group, that we would be quick to step in and intervene when we see a fellow brother or sister straying from your path. Uh, that we'd be quick to receive correction and input and advice from another desiring to help us, Lord. And that we would, as a church, be growing in holiness, be growing closer to you, Lord. And that we would be glorifying you in this community. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.